All right, welcome back to the High Impact Physician Podcast. Today is part two of Sandy's conversation with Dr. Mark Stevens. Today, Mark's getting vulnerable. They're digging into specific ways that he's failed as a leader and how those moments have shaped him moving forward. He's also talking about some non-traditional approaches to learning in medical school and the curriculum that Mark's helping design. And the thing I think you guys are gonna find really interesting is Mark is talking about the most rewarding and unexpected journey of his life. No, he's not talking about being a parent here. He is talking about doing art therapy with other physicians. Super, super interesting. If you're creative, and even if you're not, you're definitely going to want to check this out. So as I think about your journey and the many different things you've been through, tell us about maybe a person or a situation or story that's personally impacted you to become the person or the leader you are today. Sandy, that is um, such a delightful question and, and one that um, I, I'm currently an educator and my passion is in medical education. Uh, I, I'm active as a clinician as well, because I think to be a good teacher, you have to be an active clinician. And, and so in contemplating how to respond to your question, I'm taken back to, and I think many of us as, as humans have been in high stakes exams in situations in our life or some sort of exam situation. And I reflect on exam situations because in some ways each day is, is, is sort of an exam. And I can tell you, Sandy, that I remember the questions on exams that I got wrong. I remember those way more than any of the exam questions that I happened to answer correctly. And I think that metaphor holds for experiences in leadership in my own life. I tend to remember failures much more. They're far more instructive for me than our successes. And so I can think of specific circumstances where I failed as a leader for, for several reasons. Number one, I, I failed to listen. In other words, my, my own state of emotional or intellectual hubris led me to a point of thinking I knew the best answer and failing to adequately consider or listen to the perspective of a colleague with an alternative suggestion. And as life unfolded, the, the colleague was right and, and I was wrong. So I think that is, that is a failure to listen. The other failures that I would, I would highlight deal with, I would, I would argue 20% of human communication is verbal. 80% of human communication is nonverbal. And so I've had several leadership failures where I listened to the words, but failed to recognize the nonverbal communication that went along with it and allowing words to um, strike the part of me that were, were those were words I wanted to hear, hear, making me feel like I was making the right decision, whereas all other information from the nonverbal universe was danger, danger, don't do this. Um, and, and so I think that that whole principle of active listening um, and, you know, humble inquiry and, and pay attention to nonverbals, because that's where you're really going to get to know people. Oh, my gosh, I'm having a total flashback um, when I was a young mom and I was raising Zachary, who's now 28 um, and he's nonverbal. And I remember when he was younger trying to figure out how to explain to his teachers how to connect with him. So I actually hired a professional educator to come to the house. Um, she happened to have autism and was nonverbal. And I hired her to help me explain how to teach Zachary's teachers to connect with him. 
right? And and I was sure I knew how to do this. I just need her to help me figure out how to tell them. At the end, um, she used um, a facilitated communication device. I paid her a lot of money. <laughs> and her one advice Ooh. to me when she left is she said, it's exhausting to live in a yakety yakers world. It's exhausting to be around you. And she walked out. And I will tell you, I talk wow. about thinking like I knew what was going on. I'm sitting here 25 years later recalling that moment because I, um, I even got caught in my own way of thinking I knew what the best answer was and what was important. And even in my own space where I thought I, I was an expert, I was so off. And powerful feedback um, can last a lifetime. <laughs> Sure can. So thank you for the reminder of the power <laughs> of listening and the power of nonverbal communication. That's so good. So I want to move a little bit more into leadership um, around, I understand you've worked with a team to help build and design some um, new medical curriculum. Tell us some of the distinctions, maybe two or three distinctions of that curriculum that you're proud of. Uh, thank you for this. I think first and foremost, I'm most proud of our students because any student who chooses to learn in this way is taking a real risk because it is not the familiar pattern of knowledge transfer that we use in traditional didactic settings. Um, so I think I, I really want to shout out to the students that I'm first and foremost uh, proud of them. Um, I'm also equally proud of, of colleagues. Uh, we have, we embrace failure in our current curriculum. We don't like failure, <laughs> but we embrace <laughs> failure. And, and what do I mean? The, the principles of design thinking are what we'd like to say that we use in terms of the design, implementation, evaluation, and modification of the curriculum. And in order to make anything better, you have to have made mistakes along the way. So we've prototyped different curricular delivery models. Some of them have worked. Some of them have been epic, epic fail. Um, but but it's, it's a wonderful environment in, in which I can make mistakes today. And I think the current situation is illustrative of this. In other words, all of us have had to move our online, our education online basically overnight. And so the, the, the rhythm the structure, the delivery, the interaction that we're used to in a face-to-face -face setting is, is immediately transformed into whatever the online platform is. And, and so trying to recreate an environment that was analogous to what we shared within the classroom while we're at a distance and separated via computer um, just didn't work. And, and so being able to be light and lean in every single day, try something different to approximate a learning environment that is rich and inquisitive um, has been a real uh, proud story. We're, we're still far from where we want to be, but we are certainly better today than we were two weeks ago. Um, mm -hmm. and, and I think another huge success is trying very, very hard to, do you know how many questions a kid asks on a daily basis? A kid asks 300 questions on a daily basis on average. That's a lot. And, and it, <laughs> That's a lot. But why don't we do that as adults? You know, we sort of have this inquiry, curiosity beaten out of us. And so really trying to reinvigorate and energize the spirit of curiosity and inquiry in our young physicians and training is a, is a true passion. Because I think it's through that dogged sense of inquiry where you are able to track down answers to the world's big problems or an individual patient's problems. Um, but you have to be curious and you have to be willing, you know, to continue to ask those questions. And so I think those sort of 
are some of the biggest successes and things that make me the proudest. So good. I'm, uh, I'm experiencing you as someone who um, is naturally curious and, and um, all about inquiry. I, um, I could imagine you're a role model in that way, which really stems from being a creative person, a strategic person, just a very curious person. And one of the things I know about you is that one of your research interests actually has to do around some creative and curious ways of approaching things like professional identity formation. Um, Particularly, I know you've been interested in the use of visual and reflective arts to iteratively, even intentionally shape professional identity Tell us a little bit about how you would define or describe that work. Thank you. This has been um, one of the most rewarding and unanticipated journeys of my life. And it it starts um, back probably as far ago as 2012. Um, And at that time, that was a pretty active time. I was on active duty in Washington, D.C., and a lot of pretty seriously wounded um, warriors were coming to the D.C. area for rehabilitation. And they had multiple needs. They had physical needs, emotional needs, spiritual needs, intellectual needs. Um, And we were trying very hard as a team, as a big team of military medicine at that time to to address those multiple needs. And I remember one day walking through a space in the hospital and seeing masks uh, hung to the walls and they were they were absolutely haunting in their in their beauty. Um, a number of those masks are actually in National Geographic. They, they ran a really interesting piece on healing the trauma of war. And, and if folks want to see it, it's in National Geographic. And so I poked my head into the studio and had a delightful conversation with Melissa Walker, who's an art therapist. Um, and she told me all about the work. And what she had discovered is, you know, 18 to 24 year old wounded warriors were not necessarily interested in group talk therapy, but but they were able to unpack some of their emotions, experiences, and feelings through the visual arts. And so Melissa really tapped into something um, that I found at that point in time to be intriguing and rich. And I went straight from, I went straight from Melissa's studio back to the classroom, and it was a third-year group of medical students. And those familiar with medical education, um, the third year is a pretty tough year. And I found the group to be crispy. I use that word crispy intentionally. They were jaded and burned out and just not the people I remember from their first year as being really eager and thoughtful and and more humanistic. And so that started a journey with Melissa of unpacking this process of identity formation, learning to think, act, and feel like a physician. I remember speaking for myself personally I just had to figure it out. There was no guidebook. There was no intentional reflection on what does it mean to be a physician? Maybe we were asked to write an essay or two here or there, but I can't ever remember somebody sitting me down and asking, Mark, who are you? And that's a complicated question for each of us. Some would say that's life's great mystery. But through the process of mask making, I have found it to be a cathartic for some and enlightening for others and enriching for others process and experience that allows people the opportunity, time and space to look within self, really figure out or at least examine and contemplate, say, core core values, a mission statement, 
what are the most important elements of self that are expressed to the world outside? What are things that you might want to keep inside? And so through expression on both the outside and the inside of the mask, we've started to uncover a mental model of, of our own hero's journey that each of us takes throughout life. Um, and so that's been a really enriching and rewarding process for me personally. Um, and it's become a little bit of a calling card. You know, people will say, hey, aren't you the mask guy? And I, I, I initially sort of wrinkled my eyes at that. But now I'm like, yeah, I'll lean into that. Yeah, I am the mask guy. And who are you? Tell me about you. I want to learn about you. What makes you tick? What are your hopes, dreams, and aspirations? And I think the mask physically and metaphorically allows for a really unique space to contemplate some of those large questions. Wow. I'm really sensing how that liberal arts background um, is weaving through from that long walk you took um, through some of your other experiences and now into this calling card of mask making. It's really such a beautiful story to um, really highlight how unique every person's journey is. I'm also struck by how intimate the experience must be to witness people that go into medicine from that very human place and then become jaded. And then you get to witness going through a, a cathartic experience. It sounds beautiful. It is. Yeah, thanks. Tell us maybe a bit more of a story about either someone you observed or your own experience of going through the mask making, like a something specific um, that someone experienced or what the a little bit more about the impact of that. Yeah, thank you. Um, it's really interesting process to watch, and I want to say right out of the gate that I always exp I always participate as as a co participant with any artist, and I use the word artist intentionally. For that moment, I yes, we're a physician or a student, but but in that moment, I really encourage people to believe that they're an artist. It's common for people to say, "What should I What should I do? I'm not an artist," and and I'll often reply. Well, listen, I'm not a commercial artist either. I'm not going to sell any of these masks for profit. This is all about introspection and looking mm -hmm. at self. And, and there are really two categories of artists who participate. And the first category um, is an artist who is, is not yet ready to really take a deep look at self. And it's pretty common for that artist to express, um, you know, what I would call cartoonish figures on the mask, you know, sort of a, a Wonder Woman or a Superman mask that, that is really one level deep. And it's fine. That's where they are for that moment. They're, they're not ready to dig deep. I think it's far more common, however, for folks to spend 5, 10, 15 minutes in, in contemplation, curiosity, and confusion, and then sort of a light bulb goes on. And then folks dig into the work and there's 15 to 30 minutes of furious painting or application of various craft materials we have available for folks. And then, then there's sort of a slowdown in another period of reflection, sort of gazing at the creation and really unpacking its meaning. And, and another important thing that we, we try to do is have people write a reflective narrative that goes along with it, or if they're comfortable, share with somebody the story of the mask. And that's, for me, where the real beauty happens. And so it's pretty common for folks, most of us as human beings have had painful experiences. We've been hurt somehow or by someone, and often it is within um, the, the process of medical education, whether it's, it was 
you know, a mean word or a mean act, it's not uncommon for folks to have experienced that hurt. And so the, the mask making process for me has served as a cathartic experience for so many folks. They will tell a story. It will often be accompanied by significant emotion. Um, there's healing within that. You know, there's often a hug from other members of the group or words of kindness and compassion from others in the group. And then as often as not, folks leave their mask behind and move on. And that's something that I didn't anticipate. I didn't see coming, but it's become a theme in, in the workshops and sessions that I've done across the country with folks. It's an opportunity to get something literally off of somebody's mind or chest, um, have it through that experience and then leave it behind and, and move on in a, in a somewhat healed state. Well, as you're describing this, I'm getting such a visual of people going through a cathartic experience, leaving that behind, and how powerful mask making can be in really intentionally shaping an individual's professional identity. Talk to us a little bit about this notion of what it could be like to um, reimagine professional identity for institutions. So if you were to imagine as a result of covid and leaders like yourself out there in the world really pioneer new ways of thinking about professional identity. If you were to imagine a year from now what professional identity could be like in institutions, what are some things that come to mind? That's a really interesting question. And and I love this concept, you know, of identity, because I, I do I do feel there's sort of personal identity, but there's unquestionably institutional identity. And, and I think for successful teams, successful leaders, and successful individuals within those teams, some common sense of that identity has to emerge. And so, you know, for some people, I'll use the metaphor of sports. You know, some people tend to identify with a particular sports team and a slogan, let's say, from a sports team or, or an institutional slogan and are able to rally around that. My hope is that beyond slogans or sports, that through the COVID experience, individuals and institutions are going to be able to identify tangible contributions in the context of healing, wholeness, and wellness that, that can rally folks in a way that everybody can feel part of it. So one thing that our institution at, at Hershey that I saw yesterday that I thought is an example of this um, it was a play on uh, Yoda, the Star Wars character Yoda, and it was discharged 33 patients we have. And so that's, for me, a small example of potential institutional identity that is looking towards a healing goal using a popular medium as a rallying point, but that gives everybody sort of a shared objective, a shared function that, that, um, that, that, people can work towards. And what's particularly meaningful in the context of Penn State is Penn State's rallying slogan, if you've ever seen a Penn State football game as an example, half of the crowd will scream, we are, and the other half of the crowd screams Penn State. And it's a rallying cry and it's an identity thing for the Penn State tribe. Um, but it but it is sort of just a, a thing that people say. But by translating we are to we have, I think the institution has done a terrific job 
of a sense of accomplishment and meaningful value um, in a patient's life. And, and those sort of things, I think, can contribute to individual and institutional identity in a way that's very healing and very positive. Definitely. What a great example. And by the way, I graduated from University of Iowa. We played Penn State, so I'm totally having like a flashback moment. <laughs> I got two last questions I want to try to squeeze in. And if you want to, you can ask the one. But one is, I'm wondering for physicians who are out there now and really intrigued by this notion of how to reimagine their own identity, what one or two tips do you have for those physicians? Yeah, so that's, I think that's something that we all do. You know, I think that we all in some way, shape or form have to re-examine our identity and, and natural places to do that are in times of challenge or times of transition. Um, and so I think for me, the biggest piece of advice that I would pass along is something I learned from NPR years ago, and I do it every year. And it's the six word memoir. In other words, if you could in six words, summarize who you are, do it. And so for me, it's teach, love, pray, laugh, learn, play. So those six words have been my memoir probably for 15 years now. And every year I'll intentionally look at that and say, is this still who I am? Is this still who I want to be? And so that process of identity formation, identity analysis can be overwhelming. So for me, a six word bite is a great place to start. I am so doing that one this weekend. What a great, great exercise. And I'm sensing physician leaders could even guide some of their physicians through something like that um, as a powerful first step. What other advice would you have to say a physician leader who wants to help their team reimagine their identity? So I think what in these, and particularly, I've contemplated this a fair amount over the last couple of weeks in terms of things that are in our control and things that are not in our control. In 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 the you know, in some ways, return to Viktor Frankl's words over and over and over again in the context of you know what people can or can't take away from you. And so, as a leader, I think making sure those in your who, who you've been entrusted to care for and lead, knowing that nobody can ever take away their freedom. So, so no matter what happens, people can never take away your freedom. And it's your freedom to choose how you respond in any individual situation. And so the three themes that I'm using currently in a leadership context are freedom, attitude, and effort, because those are three things absolutely within my control. And I think I have to be consistent as a leader in the messages I'm sending through my attitude and my effort that is you know, guided by my freedom. And then I think empowering those uh, who I'm working with, working for, uh, or, or who are working for me to, to sort of embrace that same concept. So beautiful. I am so struck by the unique way you can put together mindsets, creativity, and action. It's, um, and it's so practical. I'm so appreciating this conversation. How could people um, reach out to get in touch with you or read more about the work that you're doing? We actually have a new website that we have for the mask making um, and I've pushed it out on Twitter, and this is brand new. Um, the whole idea is identity exploration. So if people want to 
I am happy to mail them a mask. I've got probably 500 blank masks here in my basement, so I'm happy to mail people a mask. And all I would ask is authentically look at yourself, make a creation, and then write about it, take a picture and upload it to our website. And that would be something I would be most grateful for. Mm. And um, I know you have the article on National Geographic. How can people find that article? So if you just Google National Geographic Wounded Warriors, it'll pop up. And if you type Penn State Mass Making, our website will pop up as well. Wonderful. I so appreciate your time today. You've deeply touched even my own experience of what leadership and healthcare is about, the way we can touch each other's life. And um, I want to thank you for the work that you're doing and will continue to do and your time here today. Thank you. Thank you for the chance to visit. This has been equally delightful for me. I'm most appreciative.